Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, Monday, January 31st, 2022, first month of the year. It looks like it's in the books. This is Herb Morgan, founder, um, senior managing director and chief investment officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. Weekly economic and market commentary. Don't forget that you can get this also as a podcast or subscribe and you'll get the slides and graphs and charts that go along with it. Twitter followers at ETF underscore strategist.com or LinkedIn, just for Morgan. This uh, is available, as I mentioned, as a podcast on pretty much every podcast format you can imagine. If you prefer a different podcast format, let us know. We will get the podcast up on that uh, platform, Slaying Bulls and Bears is the name. We look to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. The presentation you're seeing and or hearing is prepared by us, a business of Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors for use with investors, for use by investors and financial advisors, each of whom are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice, but it should be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities at all. Uh, everything is for informational purposes only. Uh, let's get right into it. We had a mostly negative week in equity prices, a lot of up and down on a good GDP number, on some hawkish rhetoric from the Fed Chair, Jerome Powell. Uh, so mid, small, international markets, emerging markets, which are international, all down. Bonds mostly down for the week as well. But on a positive note, earnings for S&P 500 companies, which were coming in last week, we had a couple of big ones, Microsoft and Apple were big. And the S&P 500 finished the week up about 80 basis points, a little less than 1%. Economic data is mostly softening, but still good is, I guess, the best way to summarize it. Uh, this is largely related, we believe, not to any sort of reduction in aggregate demand in the economy, but due to COVID-related shutdowns or restrictions on economic activity or voluntary uh, cutbacks in economic activity as people are concerned about contracting the COVID-19 uh, virus, the Omicron variant. Starting with market, uh, market PMI for manufacturing for January fell from 57.7 to 55. That still is expansion, just less so than before and a little bit below the expectations. Looking all the way back, you can see it's the lowest level since October of 2020. For a positive sign from that, two positive signs. One, it's above 50, means manufacturing grew. And number two, input prices declined. So as I've said last couple of weeks, in my view, the inflation numbers, which we'll get to later in the presentation, inflation numbers have peaked. Doesn't mean they're going back to sub 2% anytime soon. And it doesn't mean that the price gains are going to be reversed. But the rate of inflation, in my view, uh, has probably peaked. Uh, similar to the manufacturing PMI, we got the services PMI from Market that fell from 57.6 to just barely in expansion territory, 50.9. 
well below in expectations, lowest reading since July 2020. Here, price of charge rose, highest reading on record, 67, and data here goes back to 2009. But again, the input prices fell. So that's good for margins for the services sector of the economy. If, if your input prices fall and your prices charge rise, that is good for profitability. That's good for stock market investors, of course. But we, we, uh, that's just barely over that 50. We attribute that also to Omicron-related economic reduction. We had a lot of data last week on residential real estate. That's something that's important to pretty much all of us, whether you own a home or you want to own a home. Most people are one of those two categories. If you own a home, you're happy uh, with price gains in the last couple of years. If you want to own one, you're not yet in, you're probably not too thrilled. In November, the FHFA house price index rose 1.1%. That was above expectations. And that's not a typo. House prices are up, looks like 17.5% year over year based on this metric. The Case-Shiller home price metric is another one. Rose 1.18. They say home prices are up 18.3% year over year. Uh, I would assume all of you are well aware of this, just seeing home prices and resales and comparables in your own neighborhoods. New home sales, which had kind of been on a decline for about a year, uh, shot up in December, rose 12% to an annualized rate of 811,000, well above the 760,000 estimate. This is likely due to the fact that it is pretty much guaranteed and realized by one and all that the Fed is going to raise interest rates. Therefore, the cost of home ownership for those people who buy with a mortgage, which is most people, is going to go up. Payments are going to go up. Therefore, there has been a flurry of activity to buy new homes and existing homes. If you can find them, very few are for sale. That's caused prices to go up at an unrealistic pace, a very unrealistic pace. And with interest rate hikes, uh, no doubt in my mind on the horizon this year, I believe that uh, residential real estate will at the minimum pause and could even decline a little bit in the next year or two. No collapse, no 2008 financial crisis, uh, but I do think that the upward pressure is going to abate and it's going to abate very, very soon. Pending home sales fell a little bit, down 6.6% year over year. That has to do with a lack of inventory very limiting sales, price hikes are so much that it is crowding many buyers out of many markets. Consumer confidence as measured by the conference board fell from 115.2 to 113.8, a little better than expectations. Uh, current conditions rose a little bit offset by a decline in future expectations as well. Okay, no big deal there. Let's move on to weekly initial claims for unemployment. Anything below 300,000 is good. And we came in at 260,000. California, which still is 12% of the US population, maintains its stunning track record of being more than almost double the percent of the claims. 23% of claims for unemployment come in California uh, because more liberal benefits, more aggressive benefits, COVID related benefits, et cetera. So you get far more claims. So if you look at the other 49 states, you see they're doing even better than perhaps this appears. We've got to account for 
uh, California, which will which continually has a higher than uh, a higher percentage of the claims than its population would suggest is appropriate. Continuing claims uh, came in and it actually rose a little bit, but basically flat. 1.675 million claims nationwide. On the big news last week, we had uh, GDP, but this isn't the GDP report. I'm ahead of myself. We had durable goods orders fell nine tenths of a percent. And that's sort of a, what I would call getting back to normal. If you look over there uh, at the right hand side here with my red dot, typically durable goods is a volatile series. It's volatile mostly because big transportation orders, namely aircraft, can go up or down big in a month just because they're very lumpy and they're very expensive uh, things. So that's getting back to normal. But you can see we've had this massive amount of durable goods orders for a very long time as we reopened the economy and tried to get production back online. So not normalized yet, but moving towards that. Now the GDP number, fourth quarter GDP was expected to go up 5.9%, and it went up almost 7% annualized in the, in the fourth quarter. Most of that was attributed to the rebuilding of inventories, which to me suggests at least some abatement in the supply chain issues. You can't rebuild your inventories if you can't get pieces and parts. And if you're rebuilding your inventories, it means you're getting some pieces and parts. Uh, I'll share my Corvette saga with you. You all know I've been wanting to order one uh, from General Motors for over a year now. I did get the call over the weekend that I have uh, moved into production status with a target production week and it was far sooner than expected. The order was, accept was finally accepted two weeks ago. It told me it would be probably three to four months before I moved into production status. In fact, it's only been two weeks. So that is my anecdotal indicator of the supply chain bottleneck starting to get uh, some relief uh, there. GDP, remember that number is big. Uh, for all of 2021, it was 5.5%. It's the highest number since 1984. That's the year I graduated from high school. Personal income and spending, uh, personal income up three-tenths of a percent. Spending fell six-tenths of a percent, likely due to COVID-related. People want to stay home a little bit, given uh, you know, the, the, uh, the um, highly infectious and contagious nature of the current variant known as Omicron. Another consumer sentiment measure, which is Michigan, I showed you conference board uh, earlier. This came in its lowest level since 2011. This is attributed to, uh, in my view, the, the, the COVID and the inflation with the primary um, impact going to the inflation numbers. People don't feel good about the economy when they see prices going up. So let's talk about the inflation. That's this week's theme. We got core PCE last week. PCE index itself, the non-core, the headline is up 5.8% on a year-over-year basis. It has not peaked, as you can see. You need to get it to come down to say it peaked. And the core backs out the volatile food and energy component up 4.9%. The chairman of the Federal Reserve has been for a long time talking about this is transitory. It has to do with supply chain bottlenecks. This is not uh, sticky inflation, it's not, it's going to reverse itself very quickly. In the last week, he's really backed off of those statements. 
but I don't think he really believes it. I think he's trying to jawbone the markets into because uh, right now the markets are pricing in a lot of uh, a lot of rate hikes, and therefore financial conditions are tightening. And when financial conditions tighten, that could be a negative for GDP growth and earnings and corporate profits and jobs and everything else. So by talking up and changing his tone from dovish to hawkish, which is absolutely what he did last week, he's trying to what we call jawbone the market. And maybe or maybe not he'll have success. Obviously, this number looks back to December, where remember I said I think inflation peaked in November or December. We'll see if it comes down. But the Fed's got a pretty big job on their hands right now. Uh, and that job is figuring out how to get this inflation down without killing economic growth. Now, the last time the Fed had to raise interest rates, and they have to raise interest rates, and they will, was December of 2015. So I grabbed a bunch of inflation metrics off my Bloomberg terminal this morning. Core CPI then was 2.1. Today, it's 5.5. Look at all these different numbers. Core PCE, what I just showed you, was 1-1. Today, it's 4-7. I've got others here. Dallas trimmed mean personal consumption expenditure, 1-5 versus 2-8. So the job today is much bigger. So back in 2015, a rate hike here or there, no problem. Remember, in all previous rate hike cycles of my lifetime, the Fed has been preemptive because they were really still living under that 1970s, early 1980s inflation memory. So anytime the, the PCE was even approaching to, they started raising, I mean, core PCE was 1.1 and they started normalizing. This time around, the Fed said, no, we're just gonna let it run. You can see that they've done that. And so then they're going to start normalizing because they believe most of this has to do with supply chain bottlenecks that the, the free market, the market, people acting rationally in their own self-interest will ultimately resolve. There are other issues, of course, energy prices, uh, our domestic policy electing not to transport uh, energy and, and new pipelines from Canada, but instead, or drill for more or frack for more, but instead seek foreign sources, which are more expensive. Uh, some of those things are going to be hard to get out. Wage price hikes are going to be hard to get out. So the Fed's got a pretty big job ahead of it. Here is the world interest rate probability uh, screenshot from this morning from my Bloomberg terminal. We'll go over this with you. This is U.S. futures as uh, talking about the March 16th Fed meeting. Possibility of one hike, a little more than one, and they're putting that at more than 100%. Okay, that makes sense. When you get to May, you're talking about two hikes, not two hikes after March, but two from here. You're looking at three, almost three in June. By September four, and by December now, let's call that five hikes. That's 125 basis points above where we are, and the market's pricing that almost 60% likelihood. So those numbers, these numbers continue to go higher that tightens up financial conditions so banks prepare that puts a squeeze on economic activity so the fed by talking more hawkish is hoping to uh just jawbone things down and then maybe he won't have to hit rate a uh, hike as much as i think what his where his brain is at on this um, 
subject. Let's move on into earnings. We are now well into earnings season, 169 out of the 505 S&P 500 companies have reported. 129 of them have beat estimates. The earnings surprises are coming in not astronomical, but certainly better than expectations, which is likely what we wanted. At the beginning of the season, the estimates were that the year-over-year -year gain for fourth quarter earnings was going to be 20%. That's pretty big. We're now on pace to get about a 24% year-over-year gain. Last week, we had two big names, Microsoft and Apple, both really blew the doors off. Um, we want to keep an eye on a couple of things this earnings season. Final sales, that's really big. Um, margin, operating margin is important. We've seen a tiny bit of weakness, but top line sales are great. I don't think, and we're seeing pricing, uh, input pricing starting to moderate. People starting to get, um, they're getting price increases through. Uh, but I said, just a little bit of operating margin pressure, not enough to ring the bell or get concerned yet. And therefore, earnings estimates for future quarters are not coming down. They're actually going up. Let's look at this. Top graph is the S&P 500. This is the earnings multiple, rather. The next one's going to show you the earnings estimate. See, the S&P is corrected, right? We're down. We were at 26 times forward earnings, 27. We're now down to 20, as you can see here. And the NASDAQ composite was well north of 40. It's corrected now down to 28. Well, that's good, but still you can look at a more normalized period, 17, 18, and 19. So is it possible that we correct a little bit more uh, on these, on the price of these stock indices as earnings go up and get us to a lower multiple or a more realistic multiple? Yeah, I think it is. Um, Trying to time that, very difficult. I think as long as the economic demand and the economy is strong, the aggregate demand is good, the earnings estimates are good and rising, and they are, there's no reason to try to trade around this little uh, period that we've got going on. This is the 2022 earnings estimates graph. Uh, and as earnings have been reported this last couple of weeks, you can see that's starting to tick a little higher. S&P is looking at $221 a share. and the NASDAQ composite looking at 493. This is an amalgamation of estimates. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, if the market's wrong and earnings estimates have to be revised lower, that's when you get into a little bit of trouble in the equity markets. But as of now, earnings are coming in strong, guidance is good, and analysts are raising estimates for uh, the remainder of this year. The one thing we want to keep an eye on and the biggest input to production, the biggest cost of production is labor. And it's not like a commodity, like aluminum that can go way down or steel or, or whatever. So we look at this employment cost index, fourth quarter employment content cost index rose a tenth of a percent. That was a lower increase than the prior quarter. For the year, wages and salaries were up four and a half. So, okay, we're, we're, we're not, you know, that may have peaked, you can see in November, let's say, or in the last quarter rather, or third quarter. And if that peaked in third quarter and starts to head down, this could spell really good news for corporate profits and for investors if uh, they're able to pass on uh, and get price hikes without overly high increases in input costs. This could end up being Jerome Powell's finest moment. Uh, I still think he waited too long. I, I think he ought to do 50 basis points in March, uh, but uh, let's see what, how it all plays out. 
Okay, lots of economic data this week because we begin a new month. So we get the final market PMIs, those ones we, I showed you earlier with flash readings. Uh, job openings or jolts, well over 10 million. Auto sales still unbelievably in the slump, not because of demand. Mentioned my Corvette story. Uh, then we get into the two jobs reports. ADP is expected to add 220,000 jobs. Uh, then we got ISM services, uh, market services as well. We got ISM manufacturing, I forgot to mention on Tuesday. Factory orders, and then the big one, the BLS uh, report, 175,000 is the estimate, 3.9% unemployment rate. Thanks for listening, everybody. You know I'll be back to you again next week on uh, Monday, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.